Good morning. Sorry, I was having trouble with the clip on the microphone. It just wasn't staying on that thing. You, you've had that problem. It just, you know, probably not for, uh, foretold in prophecy that he shall have a problem with the clip on the microphone. But anyways, it is what it is. Got it fixed again or so for a while. If it isn't, it isn't. So we're going to continue our study of prophecies in Christ. Um, where am I? I'm in the church foundation area. Chuck did the authority last week. He finished up ministry, moved into authority. I just moved on into church foundation. And uh, that's it. That's what we're going to work on, church foundation. And we're going to look at one thing, Christ being the cornerstone of the church. So that's the one thing we're going to look at. I think it covers all the points of the prophecy in some form or fashion. So that's what we're going to talk about. I got Snickers today. If you're interested in one for answering a question right, if you're interested for Snickers and you don't even care to answer a question, we'll give these things away too. So we're, we're easy. So well, anyways, I'm going to work this from Matthew 21. So we're going to start with the parable of the talents. And we're going to work our way toward the prophecy and it will blow up from there. I don't know if it'll blow up, but it'll... We'll, we'll get to the main point somewhere around slide 24 or something. So, Anyways... Matthew 21, verse 33 through 35. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants. And went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. This is a happy story to start your day. Okay, this is, this is how we roll here. I'm always amazed at the quality of the stories. It starts out like pretty nice, and it's like, you know, it, it's not a Hallmark movie. So if you use the ESV or the NIV, uh, it's called the Parable of the Talents. Parable of the Tenants. I don't know why I read that wrong or pronounced it wrong. It's Parable of the Tenants. It's Parable of the Landowner, if you use the New American Standard, and if you use the New King James. It's Parable of the Wicked Vine Dressers. At least that really gets into what it's about. The, wicked vine dressers. Does anybody use a different Bible? I just kind of, I don't care what you use. I just, does anybody use something different? No? The King James doesn't use subclause titles and stuff like that. So anyways, that's, uh, that's what we got. It should hit about everything. Just the different names to give you sometimes a, a thorough view of the whole thing. So this is a parable. You got to look at what the analogies, what do these things mean? And uh, we talked about it, I talked about it two weeks ago with the Jesus talking in parables, the prophecy of that. And for those who believe, they understand. For those who aren't, they get a weird story. Okay? So, as believers, we need to understand what the analogies are. You know, and you should be able to see them. If you can't see them, we should be able to open it up, study it, and you should be able to see them. So it's not just some kind of secret code. So, looking at that that way, who is the master of the house? guesses? God. God the Father. Wow. There was, was it tricky? It wasn't tricky, was it? I didn't think it was. I really didn't think it was all that tricky. Whoop, there we go. So, yeah, that's just his role. He's the master. He's, he's the master of the house, so it's a pretty simple one. So what is the vineyard? So he's talking, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. So, you know, he's, he's alive. He's, uh, what's the vineyard? Chuck? You know, it could... 
Say that again. I'm putting the tenants as the leaders of Israel. But you know, I mean, it's, it's a parable. And sometimes you can see more than one thing in it. Like you say, if the, if the vineyard is is the garden, it's all of creation, which the garden would have been. Um, yeah, the tenants being us, especially the sinful us, right? I like that. A lot of par- like I said, parables are parables. People that use analogies, sometimes they use terrible analogies. But that's that works that way, too. Um, that's good. I hadn't looked at it that way. A double-wrapped candy bar, or ha- one-and-a-half-wrapped candy bar. Or who knows? Anyways. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the vineyard being, it's bas- we're going to look at it as Israel. It's the, uh, it's the, it's the kingdom of... It's God's kingdom at that time. So if we talk about the kingdom a lot of times. The kingdom, God was the king of Israel. He was the king of the Jews. That translates to he's the king of the church. The church is the current kingdom of God. There's also the kingdom of heaven. Those are three kingdoms. That he's always the king, and he has been. And so we're going to look at the kingdom of Israel. This is really what we're kind of looking at with the vineyard and this parable. So what does, if knowing that, what does the fence, the wine press, the tower, all that together, I'm not going to try to break those three together, but if you look at really more, more so the fence, they're protecting the, you know, they're protecting the fence and the tower, protecting the, the vineyard, the wine press is to make it useful, let me put it that way. So what would that relate to, especially something that's protecting Israel? Yeah, it has towers on the wall. Wine press reminds me of Christ. It will be. When the fruit comes, different time. At this time, when you're talking about Israel, Chuck? It's an analogy, and you know, you can you can kind of get off in the wrong. If, if the tenants were the prophets, then it would be what God did to bless the nation of Israel and protect them when they were faithful. The wine press would be those people who were faithful. In other words, he planted the vineyard, he put them there. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to be faithful and bear fruit. Fruit would be possibly being faithful, loving God, faithful to God, because that's what he wanted from his people. That's what he, that's what he wants from us, that's what he wanted from them then. Right. That would be the wine that was from the grapes. Yeah, the, the fruit, the, the, like I said, the fruit goes through the wine press and stuff. That would be a spiritual response of, um, like I said, the faithfulness, the obedience, no one. Right. So we, uh, you know, yeah, that's what you're looking at with the fruit, the wine press. Um, if you put the fence as the law, because the law kind of boxed in Israel, but it protected them from, it kept them separate from the world. It kept them separate from the Gentiles and such. So that's kind of what the fence is supposed to represent in this thing. It's, it protects them, it keeps them, it's supposed to keep them, let me put it that way. It's supposed to keep them, keep the Jews, keep the Israelites in God's kingdom. Keep the outsiders out, keep the worldly out, um, influence out. And the wine press, I like that. I like the fact that you said there would be, you know, like I said, there are there are always faithful people. There's always a remnant, no matter how bad things got. And that would be symbolic of processing that. 
you know, when they had to worship, they had to drink offering, they had the they they had um, sacrifices, they had the feasts and stuff. So sometimes they're just checking a box, but some people will faithfully follow through with that. So these songs together, the law should should have at least done that. It doesn't do much more than that, but it should have at least done that. So who would the tenants be? Who would so God has a vineyard, he puts a fence around it called that we call a law, and he leases it to tenants to take care of it. Who would the tenants be? Chuck? His chosen people, and, and this is really even pointing toward the Jewish leadership as you get into the as you get into the thing even more so that, but you're right, the people living in the in the vineyard would have been his chosen people, his Israel, but the ones that when we get down to 35 and the tenants took his servants and beat one, that's more their, the leadership, more so than anything. So, but you're right. And, and, you know, I don't know, it's an analogy. You can't make a good analogy without just flat out just doing a thing right. And say, who lives in a vineyard? You might live by a vineyard, but anyways. So who would God's servants be? Who would be the master's servants? So the master's gone away to another country. He sends his servants back to collect a fruit. Hey, you've been there inside this vineyard. You're supposed to be growing fruit. We'll give you the protection. We'll give you a blessing. You're supposed to be growing fruit. And he sends his servants. Who would these servants be that go to Israel? These servants that go to find the faithfulness, find the, or improve it, as the case may be. Depends on when you read it. Christ is still alive. Today, we're the servants. Yeah. yeah, we're the servants. If you read it today, hopefully we're not beating. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Tomorrow they do. Yeah, yeah, you do. You're right. So, prophets. Prophets. That would be the prophets. God sends his prophets to collect the to collect the fruit, to improve the production, even to in some form or fashion. There we go. He uh. So he sends, God sends the prophets, and we've seen that as we, you know, the, the study we did previously. How many times do we look at a prophet that came to kind of straighten things out or, you know, get things moving on the temple? Let's get the walls built on the city. The story of the Old Testament, as things get away from, as they start doing what seems right in their eyes, as the word say in Judges, they get farther and farther away from God. And neighbors come in, he sends a prophet, he sends a judge to try to get things back. And of course, the prophets all point towards Christ. You know, the perfect, the perfection. You're under the law. You're not going to get the full. You're not going to get the best fruit. You're not going to get the the goal. So, as we've already talked about, the fruit in this thing it would be faithfulness, a spiritual response, a desire to be closer to God, the desire to, you know, obedience and uh, service, sacrifice. The desire for forgiveness, you know, isn't it the idea of the law? We see what God wants out of us, but we know none of us can uphold the law. So isn't it that desire for forgiveness? If we know that death is what the sentence is for, we should desire forgiveness. We should desire that uh, relationship with God. So I think that's kind of what the fruit really represents. Um, kind of give you a summary, putting all the pieces back together best I can. Um, God established Israel as his favored nation. 
He guarded it with law, left the religious leaders to grow a spiritual response, obedience, longing for redemptive forgiveness, desire to be God's people. When he, when he sent prophets and messengers, they were abused and killed. So if I take these and summarize it, that's about what we get. So it's a great story. <laughs> I, some of this stuff, I mean, I don't know. The outside world, they, I don't think they know about some of this stuff, but it is. So in 36, again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. So God sends more prophets. You know, the first ones we sent, they beat them, they abused them, they killed them. Let me send more prophets. And the same thing happens. We've killed Jeremiah, 37:15 in particular. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah. They beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, for he had been made a prison. So this is even the account of Jeremiah, a first-hand account. I guess it's not really first-hand because it says he beat him. But it's, um, Jeremiah is one of these ones that, you know, he's got a whole book in the Bible. It's at least 37 chapters long. It's a serious prophecy that we have today. Yet he was treated in such a way that they, they beat him and imprisoned him. God, a God, messenger of God. Would you want that on your conscience? Would you want, you know, if, that's not something we would want. I'm sure that definitely not the faithful. In Hebrews 11, there's another account, Hebrews 30, 11, 32 through 37, and I kind of shortened this to at least fit a slide the best I could. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. So prophets, they did not roll out the red carpet for the prophets. God's people did not roll out the red carpet for God's messengers. I, Chuck? The first and the last would have been um, Samuel, right? Uh, Back, he was he was pretty much esteemed until the end, yeah. when um, when Saul was trying to kill him. Yeah, you're right. He would have been. He was pretty well esteemed. Yeah, he was in, in Israel. Some of them do, and are received. That I can think of. Everyone else. Mm -mm. <laughs> no, it's just it. it but when you look at it, these are God's people. These are not heathens. These are not Gentiles, dogs. These are God's people with a message from God to come back home. Is really what the message really is. Do this. And they're like, no. And they get so mad and they, they kill them. Um... And the parable goes on in verse 37, 38. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. When the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. I've got the same part of that is Mark has a version of this. I think John has one too. But Mark says, He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent to them, saying, They will respect my son. So, what or who does the son represent? 
Jesus. Jesus, look at that. Brent was waiting for that. The, the answer of answers right there. That's the, that's the rule in the, uh, in the teen, cl teen class. If you don't know the answer, just shout out Jesus. That's, that's always been the rule in that class, and I think it still is. Uh, watch out, Wanda or Bob or somebody. Oh, it's a freebie. <laughs> Leave it there for the kids later. So, it's Jesus. Jesus. The son. It's not much of an analogy. That kind of, you can't really hide that, you know. It's just kind of there. Did they recognize him? For who he was. These tenants who've been taking every one of the, the servants, every one of the messengers, like I said, the leaders of Israel, even as it represents them, they've been taking God's messengers, they've been beating them, they've been killing them. But the son comes. Do they recognize who he is? Yes. Clearly, right? He's the heir. This is the heir. This isn't somebody who looks like the heir. This isn't somebody who. This is the heir. This is the guy. They know who he is. Did the leadership of Israel know who Jesus was? They did. They did. Still put him on trial. Still hung him on a cross. They knew. What seems to be their reason for wanting to kill him? Greed. What he's inheriting. Greed. Greed. They want what's in there. He's supposed to inherit. They know he's been inherited. Out of greed, they want it. It's God's kingdom, and they they want it for themselves. How far does that greed go in our history of Israel? But we already know leadership did. How 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 greedy were they? Murder. They're willing to break commandments. Willing to break laws they've written for themselves in order to stay in charge in order to stay in places of high esteem, in order to make the money that they were making. You take, the, you take Jesus' trials themselves. Like you said, they had false witnesses. They brought themselves to murder. These are not only God's people. These are people who knew God's laws. These are people who taught God's laws and were willing to go to those extents to get what the inheritance was. <laughs> yes. I mean, they had the Sanhedrin in the middle of the night. In that the was against of, the law, too. Against the law. They met in the middle of the night. Yeah. That was one of their own laws, but they met in the middle of the night. They gave him some of it over. We don't want blood on our hands. Let the Romans finish the job. You know, we can't, you know. That whole thing is just nasty. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just how they stint that they went to. What seems to be. Oh, sorry, I already had that. What is the son's inheritance? Like I said, it's the, it's, in this case, it's the vineyard. Um, it's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. God's kingdom. Yeah, Christ the son is going to inherit the kingdom. It's handed over to him um, as the thing changes. And that's what they wanted. Verse 39. They took him, they threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Like you didn't see that coming, right? When they didn't. There it is, the secret line of lines. Okay? What's this represent? It's an easy one. Easy candy. Killing of the sun represents what? Crucifixion. Crucifixion. Clear. He didn't give he gave his life, but they did everything to put him to kill him. 
Um, yeah. It's crucifixion. Where was the crucifixion done? Golgotha. Golgotha. One, I know one ahead of that. Where is Golgotha? Outside the city. Outside the city limits. Outside the fence. Away from the tower. Away from the... You're welcome. I didn't make her catch. She wouldn't look at me. All right. So it was done outside of town. Same thing here. And they threw him out of the vineyard. They killed him out there. Verse 40. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? This is Jesus asking the disciples. Men who are Jews, don't miss the fact that disciples aren't Christians. You know, they will be. They're followers of Christ. But they are Jews. And they know this applies to them. This applies to their leadership. So he asks them, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? <laughs> Throw them in the well. Throw them in the fire, right? Is there any other response you give? What do you do with people like that? If you owned a house here in Titusville and you go to collect the rent and they kill the FedEx guy, they kill the Amazon guy, the mailman, and you send your son, they drag him to the sidewalk, or, and they kill him right there, what do you do? I know, you call the cops, right? You should have called the cops long, long ago. Um, but you can't just keep sending people. You can't you keep hoping for change. Something's got to happen here. And this is where they're at. Even the disciples know. Verse 41, they said... Who put these wretches to a miserable death? They let out the vineyard to other tenants and give them the fruits in their seasons. These people who've killed the FedEx guy, have killed the Amazon guy, the postman, and the son, they're going to die a miserable death. And then the property's going to be cleaned up, and somebody else is going to move in. You'd almost think you'd burn the place, wouldn't you? I've always worried about that here in town. Houses were going to have like triple murders and stuff. Would you want to rent that house? I don't. But, you know, like I said, it's an analogy. So what's the miserable death that the tenants represent? They're going to lose everything. They're going to lose their money. They're going to lose their power. Power is worth more than money. We see that play out day after day after day. What else are they going to lose? Greek called Hades? Hell, that's it. That's the miserable death. That separation from God is the miserable death. And that's what it is. When you know God's the master, he can't have these people around him. He can't welcome them into the kingdom of heaven. They will suffer the miserable death. The lake of fire, hell, for this. He's given them chance after chance after chance and they said, we'll do it our way. Did they rid themselves of the son permanently? They killed him. Or will they face him again? They're going to face him again. No, no one, yes. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, he's not going to show up at the doorstep one more time, is he? Um, they killed him. 
but he, we also know the story that he rose again on the third day. When we know who the son was, he rose again on the third day. Um, he's going to be there at the day of judgment. They're going to face him. They're going to walk up to him, the guy they killed, and said, let me in. No, I don't think so. We're going to hold you to, to this. We're going to face him again. Who will, be, who will be the new tenants? Who's going to rent the house of horrors here? Who's going to give the fruit? The vines have already been planted. The fruit's already there. The church. That's it. The church. The church. Ever think about that? What would the church be like if we didn't have the Old Testament to already establish some of that stuff? If we didn't already have the some of that stuff's already there. Some of the understanding of who God is, by we can't stand up to that. What if they just started it out of nowhere? But you can't. It doesn't work that way. So they're going to move in. The church. The church moves in. We're going to give them fruit, first fruits. We're going to give him the fruits. What would the fruits be as the church moves into the vineyard? Chuck? Fruit of the Spirit's a very good answer. I like that. You don't want candy, do you? You already got enough. So, fruit of spirit is a very good answer because it even says fruit right in, right in the name of it. So, uh, there's nine of those nine parts of the fruit of the spirit because it's not really fruits of the spirit; it's fruit. So it's nine parts, and that is in Galatians 5:25, I believe. I think it's Galatians 5. Right after lust of the spirit, lust of the flesh, and this fruit of the spirit. Um, I know patience is one love patience. Kindness, gentleness, godliness, yeah, long-suffering. That's a better word than patience. It really is, because that's about what patience really becomes. Um, that's our goal. What's in Galatians 5 is a good, good one. Um, is obedience part of that fruit? Is, is that longing to be with God? The fruit that bears more fruit. Typically, you know, fruit's got seeds in it, right? So that fruit... The trees are typically grown from fruit. I know, orange trees aren't grown from fruit. I don't know if bananas or not, but uh, seeds grow more fruit. And that's part of our job, too, is to share that fruit, to keep growing. As we continue this parable, you got it, don't you? You got Galatians 5? Okay. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Good. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, and two others. <laughs> That's why it's first. Yeah, love comes. It's the most important. If you've got that, the other ones are a factor. Yeah. Of that. It's love for others, it's love for yourself, it's love for God. You can't get the other ones without love. You can't just check the box. Closer to God. So Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes. So here it is. Here's the prophecy. 9.30. Okay, I told you we'd get to it. But here's the prophecy. Jesus answers to them, have you never read this? So where wouldn't they have read that? It's not Daniel. But it, it applies to Daniel. You know something? It, it does, because I've got that on there. It's a rock, um, it's a statue. The stone that was not made with hands, that was not cut with hands also, and it's two places in Daniel. Yeah, it's, But it's, it's also in Isaiah. 
It's in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah. It's in Psalms. It's Daniel. They all. Yep. That's kind of why I did it this way. Tell the story, then we'll break out what the stone is. So you're right. It's, uh, it's Old Testament. They had the Old Testament, and they've read the Old Testament, and they've known the Old Testament since they were kids. Uh, Psalm 118, 22 through 23, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's just the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Basically, word for word. So, this is where they read that. This is, it's kind of weird too, right? You've just heard the story about bad tenants and killing everybody. And all of a sudden he says, have you never, you know, when he asks him, what I got, what's the master going to do? Oh, he's going to kill him. Well, have you never read this? You could almost see him, you know, if he'd stop right there, like I, I talk about him reading the scroll and he just drops the mic and he sits down. If he stopped right here, people would have been like, yeah, okay. But he says there's going to be a cornerstone. Builders rejected. We'll look at that. The whole passage, to put it in context, Psalm 118, back in verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give God thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter, enter, enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. The gate of righteousness, this new, you know, we talked about the fence around it. There's a gate. There's a, it's being basically rebuilt. And the cornerstone is the key to that. Illustration, I got this out of Kaufman. He quotes a guy named Dean Plumtree. Don't know if that's how to say it or not, but that's how we're going to say it today. This illustration seems to have been drawn from one of the stones. Quarried, hewn, and marked away from the site of the temple, which the builders, ignorant of the head architect's plans, had put to one side as having no place in the building, which was found afterward to be that which the completeness of the structure depended that on which, as the chief cornerstone, the two walls met, were bonded together. So we typically talk about the cornerstone being in the corner, right? That's the, that's the place. It's part of the foundation. It sets, it sets your squareness of your building. You're going to go up square. You're going to go left and right, left and center, square. You're X, Y, and Z for us engineers. All or I, J, and K for you electrical engineers. It's all going to go from that. It's a right-hand rule. That's just how it is. You're going to put the cornerstone down. I want to look for a cornerstone picture. Ironically, the ones that are free to use um, show cornerstones in buildings, but the ones which cost you to use, use that as like the bottom. The cornerstones that are free are pictures of buildings with cornerstones. And they're usually up a little ways, but they're marked. This is, you know, this is this church established in this year. Um, this is this building establishing they've got them and this is kind of what Plumtree's thing says too. They started out with a stone They squared it up. They engraved on it. We're building a temple. It's built by these people and They forgot about it and they built a whole temple without the one that set which direction it's going to go And you can you really build a good building if it's not square if it doesn't go straight up if it doesn't That's what they did. They found it afterwards and like well, great. What are we going to do with this? If you build on that, you start with something solid. And Christ is that cornerstone. Your completeness and all that stuff depends on that. So as the two walls met, were bonded together. It's in a corner. You understand that. Christ as the cornerstone suggests 
corner of two things. And there's some of these, this is from Kaufman too. Um, it's where law and grace meet. The law ends in the Old Testament. Grace begins with the New Testament. They come in at right angles. They're not, they're not the same thing. You come in at right angles, God and man. They never really, they never saw eye to eye, but now they can. Time and eternity. B.C. and A.D. Throw that one in there. That's a simple one for us to understand. B.C. ends, A.D. begins. The Mosaic dispensation, the Christian dispensation. One ends, the other begins. The letter and the spirit, judgment and mercy. Anyways, the corner, Jesus being the cornerstone, you can see where some of these end. One wall ends, the next wall begins. So this is a good analogy of an analogy. Of an analogy. So <laughs> why not? Let's just take it all the way. So who's going to place the cornerstone? In Isaiah 28, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid us as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteous the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. So who's going to place the cornerstone? God's God going to place the cornerstone. Would you expect anything else, right? We're going to build the church. We're going to build his kingdom based on that. He's going to put it. How is the cornerstone described? It's precious. It's tested. Sure. We see this in Christ. He's the son. He's got to be precious. You know, we, we see he's tested. He, you know, for 33 years, he was a man around man. How many times did they test him in his three-year ministry? They tested him to the point of death. Test after test after test. And Chuck's word, sure, he never wavered. He still stayed. The word itself is still sure. The word itself is something we can build on. It's the cornerstone. It doesn't change. It doesn't cave. It doesn't crack, crumble. And quite honestly, it doesn't even age. We've had the same word for, you know, we've had the gospel for 2,000 years, and it ain't changed. How will the cornerstone reshape the vineyard that we had in the parable? It does open it up. You're right. It opens up a gate, allows people in. They're not just the ones that live inside. Um, the hedge was the wall. I don't know. They're still gonna. It's gonna be different. It's gonna be more solid. Is that enough? Would that be? Would that be a good effect too? More solid than a hedge and a tower and a wine press. That's all we really saw from the other one. So I like it. It opens it up. It doesn't. It'll bear more fruit. It bears a different kind of fruit. the first one you lay yeah. and Christ is first in the church it doesn't depend on the tents no it doesn't it doesn't depend on the rocks that get laid afterwards right. it depends on the rock that gets laid first the rock is there first is what everything's built on the whole kingdom will be built on that it says that justice will be the line you want to find out where X and Y are justice lays that down 
Righteousness is the plumb line. Righteousness is what goes vertical. The whole kingdom, it's all going to be built off that cornerstone. Zechariah 10, 3-4. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them his majestic steed in battle. For him shall come the cornerstone from from him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, for him, from him every ruler, all of them together. So the corner come from the house of Judah. This one of those prophecies that shows that the cornerstone is it's Christ. Back to the parable we started with, Matthew twenty one forty two. Just flat out. The son is the cornerstone. They killed the son. He became the cornerstone for the new, the new building, the new vineyard. Finish up at 43 and 44. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, and given to a people producing its fruits. And one who falls on a stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So what else do you see about this cornerstone? Chuck already saw it. But it's going to, everything's going to be built on it, but what else? They're going to be crushed. Yep. Yeah, you can almost see the head of a serpent sticking out, the body of a serpent sticking out from under this cornerstone, can you? Symbolically. But yeah, that's what's going to happen. Satan's going to be crushed. Those who follow him, they're going to be crushed. You try to go up against a stone that can't be chipped, can't be moved, can't be... All you're going to do is hurt yourself. Right. Yeah, you're right. It'll be taken away from those who try. Um... It's going to fall on them. It's going to crush them. How does this describe Israel's leaders and their response to the son of... So Israel's leaders were the tenants, and uh, this is, that's going to crush them. Daniel 2, Chuck alluded to this earlier, in the days when, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. The cornerstone crushes kingdoms. It's prophesied in Daniel's. Daniel interpreted a dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a statue, had a head of gold, torso and arms of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. And you see the stone coming down and crushing all of it. And this is, this is it. This cornerstone that crushes all earthly kingdoms is the Christ. Pick it back up with a parable, Matthew 21, 45-46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Wow, we saw that 45 minutes ago. But they did too. <laughs> so they did too. They, they said, you know, he's talking about us. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they had held him to be a prophet. They knew this about them. They knew this meant that they were going to lose their power. They're going to lose their money. They're going to lose their position. We got to arrest him. Say, like, didn't you listen to this thing? You can arrest him. You can kill him. It ain't going to work out your way. Did they recognize the son? They saw him. They knew he was the heir. They knew 
They recognized him as a cornerstone. They knew that he was going to rebuild what they thought they had built, what they thought they controlled. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the cornerstone, in case you missed it. Uh, he's the rock of ages, another word we've, we've heard. I put the words of the song in here, and I'm not going to lead this song because I am not a song leader. I've tried it a couple times. And sorry to those who had to endure that, but at least we sang. <laughs> Chuck? One thing that kind of kept coming to me also um, was when Christ was talking with the disciples and he said, who am I? And Peter said, you are the Christ. And he said, and you're Peter. And upon that rock, I'll build my church. Peter being Petra, which is a small pebble, but the rock is himself. The rock is Christ. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's a, good, that's a good point right there. And I should have included that one. There's a lot of stuff about Jesus being a rock and not just even just the cornerstone. But you're right, he has the cornerstone. They pile the rocks on top of him, and Peter will be one of those rocks at that time. It will be from that time. So, anyways, probably ready to end of class, but the words of the Rock of Ages, cleft for me, cut the rock out of, you know, let me hide myself in thee, let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin, the double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power leave it from there. That's what the cornerstone does. Uh, as we see from Daniel, it's not cut by hand. Uh, it'll never chip. It'll never break. It'll never age. We can build everything on that. So today's effort was to look at the prophecy of Christ being the cornerstone. It also looks at what that builds for us. So thanks for being here, and worship will start hopefully in 15 minutes or so. so <laughs> thank you again.